Hello. 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 So I am with Dr. Maria Aretulaki, and we are going to get into the nitty gritty of conversation analysis. But I would love, Maria, if you could start by introducing yourself. Tell me a little bit about yourself, please. So very pleased to see you again, Ben. I'm pretty sure the first time and only time we talked <laughs> was in the middle of the pandemic, I believe. That's right, right. yeah. A, a, a nice break. So, yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm Maria Rutulaki. Uh, I, um, most people in the community probably know me as uh, the, the director of Dialogue Connection, which has been uh, my comp- the company, you know, my own consultancy that uh, I've been running for the past 14 years. But basically, I've kind of parked that in the past year. Uh, when I joined uh, Global Logic, um, and I I had the voice and conversational AI um, practice, I guess you could call it, um, uh, yeah, designing voice bots and chatbots, etc., and everything else you know that comes with that professional services, etc. Uh, and I guess as a background, I I am one of the ancient. <laughs> Conversation. No, ancient. You said you weren't going to say ancient. I mean, literally, I started last century, so that makes me (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I've been designing mainly voice user interfaces, but also other natural language interfaces, uh, including more recently chatbots and voice assistants. But, yeah, voice user interfaces for the past 25 years. I've been in NLP, NLU, uh, AI, uh, neural networks for the past 30 years and uh, I guess uh, and originally I was a linguist so yeah. <laughs> hopefully uh, I, my perspective will be interesting to some people because you know I guess I I have both the linguist and the engineer machine learning whatever strains in me <laughs> yeah that's excellent that's excellent I think you know Definitely, people are going to find useful stuff from from what you're going to say because Hopefully. you know, um, I, I I remember hearing that before you know before this wave of voice assistants like Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, um, maybe around 2010, there was about 200 people who you could call conversation designers in the world. But then it was called voice user interface designers, but yes, yeah, but essentially <laughs> designers. Yeah, same job, but for different products and technology, right? Mostly IVR, I guess, and and things like this. Yes. So yeah. you you're one of these these people with that incredible experience, and yeah. uh, there's so many newbies, including myself, within the industry. Who, you know, there's so much stuff which I guess people are kind of treating everything as a new problem, and I'm sure there are many things you're seeing which are like. Hey, we've we've dealt with this before. Everyone, calm down. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it's understandable that there is so much movement in the space and uh, and so many newcomers because the demand is huge. So you know, if yeah. any, even if I wanted to work on everything, I, it's humanly impossible. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but yeah, some problems are old. Some problems, some people don't even see. Uh, because they think it's a new space, but uh, but yeah, some some problems are also very very new because of the amount of data we deal we deal with because the, of the new channels interfaces because of the uh, 
um, omni-channel uh, experience and uh, uh, trying to make smooth transitions between channels and and uh, uh, yeah yeah between channels <clears throat> and profiles I guess you could say mm-hmm. but uh, yeah so it's a mixture of old and new problems for sure <laughs> yeah no totally it it you know even in the short time that I've been involved in observing the industry it's just rapidly changing you know now with generative ai it's now every week there's something every day there's something <laughs> yeah, yeah i i was kind of in like uh had a sort of kid in a sweet shop feeling at first like wow this is amazing this is amazing and now i'm starting to feel like well if i what does that mean yeah, yeah if, if i follow the hype too much i'm gonna lose my head you know i need to get grounded in this uh, as much as i can all the time uh and so part of that is speaking to you <laughs> <laughs> so can i start with the the wee easy questions to get rolling the 30 seconds go <laughs> exactly exactly thankfully um, i've written them down so that we stay in 30 seconds but yeah fire away sure and if 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 something pops in your head as you're speaking which would push you over the 30 second mark you will lose no points because i'm not oh, good I'm not keeping score <laughs> it's a relief to hear yeah so any any way you want to answer, please, Maria. What's the most useful thing you use at work? Language data. Language data. Cool. Two-word answer. Next, <laughs> next, next uh, question. <laughs> I will expand later. So. Perfect, perfect. And so how do you make sure your copy is good enough? So, yeah, if by copy you mean wording system prompts, yeah. Uh, then I would say, uh, well, seeing it in the conversation and in the general task structure, if you can call it task, uh, multiple edits, of course, uh, hearing it play back over the phone or whatever, play back somehow, usually TTS. So perhaps also thinking, oh, if someone does not touch the TTS setting, you know, what's the easiest way to, to play around with the... Uh, with the wording so that you don't have to do too much TTS setting, meddling, whatever. Sure. Expression. Yes, <laughs> We're nearing the, th- I don't know. No, <laughs> it's fine. So the last one. No, um, honestly, like uh, any answer you can give is great. I only call it 30 seconds go because it's, it's just the wee questions to start. And I was actually intrigued, you know, when I asked, uh, how do you check whether your copy is good enough? You were, you asked me if I mean utterance writing. What other interpretations of copy were you thinking of that come into your work? Um, I guess I was trying to to get the terminology right because you know copy. I wouldn't. I would never call it copy. That's why. Okay. Okay. Because, what do you? Uh, I think copy is a, a terminology from you know marketing and um, yeah copywriting, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't. I would never call art job copywriting okay uh, and that is because if you think about it copywriting is something looks good probably on paper more than anything else or okay maybe if, it, if it's a, an ad that plays on tv or whatever then also you know, what it sounds like and all that but it, i would say that copywriting does not usually involve um having it play in a dialogue. It's just like, mm-hmm. 
broadcasting. Nothing yeah. comes back, therefore you don't really care what the user is going to say next. And that's why I'm against the use of uh, you know, the, the copy, verb, noun, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get you. I totally get you. I, I only, you know, I only use it because I'm sort of seeing that people are generally using it. And so I want to be understood. But definitely, I, I totally get you because, you know, I my experiences with like TV and filmmaking, where it was screenwriting, writing dialogue. Right. I, I wasn't doing that, but I was editing uh, the actors' uh, recordings afterwards. And so um, I totally get you. Like, what, what would you call the utterance writing? Uh, I guess it, used, it, has, it has been, it has always been called, or before in the old world, in uh-huh. the old world order, <laughs> it used to be called, you know, system prompt wording. Okay. So, well, that's a long one, but, though. But I mean, it's like, yeah, or system, yeah, system prompt writing system, prompt word. Usually you say prompt wording, but prompt, I mean, maybe it's too specific because prompt means I'm waiting for you to do something next, but not necessarily. So that's also not exact. So, you know, system message, I guess, is the best. More, a better generalization would be to say system message crafting. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I get you. I but get it, you. it talks about you know how the message is comes from a system mm-hmm. uh, rather than you know copywriting in general, which could be which would be uh, what the marketing department of a, of an organization may uh, may write. And uh, very often, you know, if you need to play back like a, I don't know a legal disclaimer inside the system then the copy will probably be copy, copy from the marketing department. Uh, but then you as the designer, you need to modify that as, as, as much as you're allowed to mm-hmm. you know, make it not too long, not too, so that it doesn't so, also, also sound confusing or, uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. totally so that's cause... why there's the distinction between uh, message writing, if you want, and copy copywriting yeah this is great this is great i mean um these are wonderful insights because we're still in the second question (laughs) no it's totally fine the 30 seconds are long (laughs) no um yeah i i I guess i love that with these tiny questions we can elaborate into much uh bigger discussions um but you know like the reasoning for what you're saying makes perfect sense to me um i'm glad i think (laughs) Yeah, no, totally, totally. And as you're saying, like, uh, with the legal copy, like, we might need to have a disclaimer, you know, that works. In fact, it doesn't really work on radio, but you can tune it out, you know, at the end of a radio advert. Exactly. You played it fast. You can't understand a word, but they need to play it. So they they do. So yeah, exactly. I think it's good if we if we keep that distinction, because we can always we always always I mean, the marketing department always has to um read through whatever the designer writes and you know say okay that's okay that's not okay so uh, it's better to keep that uh, separation of responsibilities i guess so mm-hmm. that we always know who wrote something you know yeah this I is copy from the legal department the designer does that is the legal department okay with that yes no how can we change it what can a, a good compromise be yeah I get you. The words dialogue designer just popped in my head. Exactly. I feel like, yeah, that's essentially where we're at, right? 
Um, okay, I'll move you on because I'm stalling you. <laughs> so, Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do do this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so please, Maria, what surprised you most when you first started designing conversations? Yeah, I love that. How unpredictable human language use is. And more entertainingly, how creative people are with swear words. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, in my, you know, when I first started as a theoretical linguist, I was amazed by, you know, the different, fun- you know, the, dif- the different aspects of language, the different uh, functions of language, you know, with the, uh, you know, the, the phonetics and the phonology and the semantics and the morphology and the grammar and the uh, pragmatic sociolinguistics, all, all of these things. But then when I also, when I started working on uh, language interfaces, uh, meaning I, in the beginning, you know, we didn't really have data as we yeah. do now. So you would write uh, grammars manually. You know, I think the user is going to ask for whatever their balance, account balance this way. And then you would hope for the best. And then you would see how the system was performing or not and listening back to the recordings of what people actually said. And then you thought, oh, yeah, I should have thought of that. And then you try to adjust your manual grammar. But uh, later on, you know, with the speech IVR world that I, I'm mainly familiar with, because, you know, speech IVR, most people think about, you know, the people who do know what an IVR is, Interactive voice response system. First of all, I guess voice response uh, was in the beginning probably only used for referring to what the system was doing, not what the user was doing. So the user was only pressing buttons, but mm-hmm. it was a voice response in that the system would say, you know, hello, please press button, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's like 20, 30 years ago, because in the past more than 15 years, you have natural language, you know, like natural language called steering, natural language, uh, spontaneous speech as uh, user input. Mm-hmm. And uh, the systems have been getting better and better because they're trained and retrained iteratively on the real language data. And that's where I've encountered all the entertaining swear words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think there are... It's just infinite how many ways people can use a swear word and work it into a normal conversation. Yeah. And, but but even even without no, not swear words, like also creative way of swear complaining, I guess, without okay. even using a four letter word, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Mm. I I I'm wondering if I should ask you for an example. Yes. <laughs> Is it safe? <laughs> Yeah, I guess. So um, some guy said, uh, yeah, uh, the question was, uh, why are you calling today? You know, nice open-ended question. And this uh, user, telecom user said, uh, because you're robbing bastards. Yeah. <laughs> or something to that effect with the yeah. robbing bastards. No, <laughs> and, and obviously, you know, I, I hear this or listen to it or whatever, see how it was annotated, you know, labeled. And I was like, a nice break, <laughs> a nice break <laughs> for the day, you know, with a big belly laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, that's, that's one of those users that they want to 
try to please as soon as possible because they're probably exactly. going to lose them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we've we've basically started talking about conversation analysis, which yeah. is wonderful. So that's what I was hoping to get your insights in. Um, I guess it, it makes sense to to say, uh, you know, for for anyone listening, why I realized I really wanted to reach out to you about this because uh, about two years ago I uh, crowdsourced responses from conversation designers about what are the most useful skills to have in your toolkit, so to speak. And I remember very clearly you were saying, well, conversation analysis, you need to uh, have this skill. So that's why uh, I reached out to you to, to get more insights into this uh, and have this interview. So Sorry, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so please, Maria, in like let's go so general because I think you know a lot of conversation designers are aware of conversation analysis and they're probably even doing it without realizing that they're doing that. Um, so and you know we know that it matters. Um, please, could you like just to start, just to give us a kind of concrete grounding? What is conversation analysis? So. Um... I guess I would say that the uh, okay, it used to be an analysis or, or description of how people talk, and that means uh, you know both the logical structure of the conversation, like uh, I guess kind of the semantics of it, or uh, dialogue patterns, like uh, you know in uh, what's it called conversation, um, uh, not like pairs, mm-hmm. interaction pairs. Uh, dialogue like cues, yeah. yeah, or how you know the the um, act and react kind of the question and response. You know this this kind of dance mm-hmm. that interloc- inter- interlocutors play. <clears throat> dialogue cues and and also conventions like uh, you know if I say oh it's hot in here, you understand that they're probably asking for me to turn down the the heating and potentially also open the the window, or at least suggest, you know, ask them, you know, is this what you want kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. conventions, logic, semantics, pragmatics, the pragmatics of the, situ- you know, the situational context, I guess. But I would say that now, or at least for us, <laughs> conversational analysis uh, is more specific because that was kind of the theory, the ex- accepted theory, and what we were being taught at uni <clears throat> back mm-hmm. then, or whoever now goes and uh, goes to union studies, linguistics, you know, pure linguistics, nothing to do with computers and design and NLP and whatever. Sure. That's what they're going to learn. But nowadays, or for us, conversation analysis, I would say, is uh, analyzing how people talk so that computers can uh, perhaps mimic them in the most effective way mm-hmm. uh, or at least uh, be able to keep up in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. And but the logic, you know, the uh, the logic and the structure and the conventions are still part of it. It's just that now, I guess, I would say, or for us, it's something more utilitarian than you know the grand theory of human communication. Yeah, sure. It's uh, and something. that's why uh, I would say that you know to your next question that I just read your mind about <laughs> 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 what the goal is. What the goal of conversational analysis is, I would say that, uh, you know, it used to be 
I, mean, I guess it was always descriptive. It has mm-hmm. always been descri- descriptive in a way, uh, except for things like, you know, when we say, you know, oh, we need to follow uh, Grice's uh, maxims, then that is also kind of also prescriptive. But anyway, for us, we need to be, uh, I guess, descriptive in the way when we're trying to analyze how people talk and how we as system designers need to deal with that. But also, I guess, in a way, indeed prescriptive when we're trying to make the system behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. So uh, we still have linguistics, of course, you know, morphology, grammar, whatever. The semantics, of course, semantics and pragmatics and all the sociolinguistics and psycholinguistics. I mean, this is all kind of merged nowadays. Uh, if we're talking about uh, um, a voice pod that is used, say, by a bank or by a telecom company or whatever, which is the ontology is quite specific. You know, the task is, the task may not be specific because there are hundreds of tasks. You know, you can talk about with your bank or with 200 different topics with your yeah. uh, mobile phone pro- provider, 200 different topics. But uh, so the ontology is big, but I guess um, when you try to design the system and design the language and the dialogue, you you try to capture as many relevant or the most um you know, the 2080 rule kind of, mm-hmm. uh, the 2080 rule, you know, which 20 things do I need to uh, definitely get right so that 80% of the conversations are going to go kind of okay or acceptably okay, if not happily, you know, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I have multiple thoughts. Um, and one thing I'm aware of is that because you have studied this and worked with this, uh, you have the lingo, like things like ontology for me. Yeah. I, I know prescriptive and descriptive, but please, I, I, I'm i feeling that if, if this question is coming into my head, definitely there are many conversation okay. designers who studied linguistics, but I, I didn't. Please, what's ontology? Okay, so I would say that pretty much everyone who has uh, labeled utterances to teach, you know, the speech recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, an utterance, you know, uh, these 10 utterances will mean, I don't know, um, account I balance to, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, choosing what labels to use is basically doing an ontology. I see. Okay. So if you think, you know, oh, I need to have a slot, whatever, for account balance, I need to have a slot for complain, I need to have a slot for, uh, I don't know, uh, agent, you know, speak to a human, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're choosing how to label the language data so that the speech recognition system or NLP, whatever, uh, for text input uh, can recognize it, then you're doing an ontology. And okay. uh when it's for like a, a general purpose voice assistant, like uh, the whole Alexa, the whole Bixby, the whole Siri, the whole Cortana, whatever, uh, Google Assistant, I mean, that's a massive job because, uh, I mean, some bits are controllable uh, or restricted enough because, for example, uh, for a voice assistant, that works on your phone, you know that you need to cover all the phone settings. You know, the, system, the, the, the voice assistant needs to be able to talk about those. And these are kind of already set, you know, like if you just think about the manual for the phone, 
you know, everything is there in categories, you know, the settings for the camera, the settings for um, the display, the settings for whatever. <clears throat> so these are there and you can take those and, and create a mini ontology for phone settings. Um, for banking and telecom, you know, for a, uh, a tasks, uh, what do you call it? I guess a um, task specific, uh, mm-hmm. enterprise, uh, vertical specific, whatever, uh, voice bot or chat bot. Again, that's almost an easy task because you already know the, that the user is not going to talk about, uh, I don't know, a film on Netflix yeah, when they're calling the bank. So, yeah. so you don't need to cover movies or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, for a general voice assistant, that's much more complex because apart from uh, uh, easy things or obvious things like like the settings on your phone, you also have to, to be able to uh, not only... Uh, update, say, a shopping basket, you need to also recognize everything they may need to order to put on that shopping basket. So that's, that makes the this ontology like almost intractable because you, you have to cover everything, you know, like what? All the possible groceries, all the yeah. different sizes of packs of rice and whatever, noodles, uh, and all the different, uh, I don't know, uh, clothes, types mm-hmm. of clothes. And um, uh, so it gets much more complex, and that's why you know no voice assistant can understand everything. Uh, they may they will do their best to, and uh, on the basis of all the speech data that they have collected from us all in the past ten years, they can do it better and better by yeah. by day. But uh, it's still uncertain. It, it's still a guess. Because you can never know what the user is talking about. They may be talking about something they're seeing outside beyond their phone right now or something they see on a website on the phone or something on the actual physical phone. So it's so complex. But anyway, all these things are covered by uh, an ontology. And I guess um, the uh, super fast history is that uh, when AI was in its uh, beginnings in, uh, I don't know, in the... I, I mean, you could say it started in the 50s or, or maybe probably you would say in the 50s. But mm-hmm. when it was kind of exploding as a field, um, and I'm talking about AI, not conversation yep. sure, design sure. or anything like that, uh, say in the 80s, um, people were starting to build ontologies that will model everything in the human experience uh, Including descriptions of of everyday tasks, like how okay. do you, what do you do when you go to a restaurant? And there will be like a, a semantic frame. I think that's what they were called frames. Uh, there was this guy. Oh, I can't remember. Was it Char- uh, uh, all the names uh, escape me now? But uh, these uh, AI researchers came up with, with a way to represent, say, the convention of going to a restaurant, sitting down, looking at the menu, ordering. Eating, paying, you know, everything. Are, are we really so predictable? No, it's very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. And I mean, it's uh, um, there was this, this guy who tried to... I, I should have <laughs> looked all this thing back again because there, there has been an attempt to make yeah. an ontology about the whole human experience. And it's yeah. still growing. It's a, something like how we model everything in our brain. Everything. Sure. Everything. How to date? How to uh, ask your girlfriend 
to marriage or something, you know, absolutely anything. And of course, it's impossible because there are so many different situations and uh, uh, and we're still not talking language here. We're talking the semantics of something, you yeah. know, what is involved, like the convention. And yeah. it's impossible. It's just impossible. It's an yeah. impossible problem. And that's why that ontology has never finished. I think it's probably still going after 50 years. Okay. Uh, and, and for us, I would say it's irrelevant. I mean, unless you are working on the next version of uh, a voice assistant, you know, on the phone. I'm sure they're taking they notes right now. Problem constantly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, then you will have to deal with, with these things. And still you yeah. need to uh, take shortcuts. You need to decide, you know, oh, I'm not doing whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yeah. dating because that's the one they will definitely do. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but but if you're working for a, uh, I don't know, for a supermarket giant or something, uh, then you know what you need to model. All the products, which is still a big, a massive job, because supermarkets, I mean, they sell everything from food to, to electronics to, you know, clothes. Insurance, yeah. Uh, and then you, I guess the, the task then would be kind of more tractable because you know what they do. They browse. They choose, they they pay, they return, they complain, they <laughs> leave five-star reviews. I don't know. There are some specific tasks mm-hmm. uh, that the objects, because uh, the ontology is full of objects and relationships, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and um, car- traits. So the object would be, I don't know, an apple, and the, the relationship would be, you know, I... Return the apple. I order the apple. I pay for the apple. Whatever, uh, and uh, and then other relationships would be with uh, the you know the fruit, and a higher relationship would be with the groceries, and a higher relationship would be with you know you get it all fresh produce or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, I I love this this idea of the the supermarket bot because I think we can use that uh, to talk about like to focus on conversation analysis. Um, you know if. If you were given a project to create a voice bot for a supermarket where uh, people were, just as an example, they were able to uh, call it and ask about products. As a new project falls like onto your desk in front of you like that, where would you expect conversation analysis to be involved within this project? If I mean, that's not too general. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, the conversation analysis comes in uh, as soon as I get any data on what they already have. Okay. So, um, first of all, I would speak with anyone I can from the supermarket, uh, meaning the business guys, marketing, contact center, managers, uh, anyone I can get. And mm-hmm. ask them for any data they have on, uh, you know, the market segment, the different um, user groups, you know, u- uh, user uh, yeah, categories, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, user profiles, uh, and language data that they have. Um, so if they have a contact center, whether I can listen to recordings or at least um, uh, perhaps get access to how their agents get trained on how to deal with the customer because then mm-hmm. they may be presented with uh, the main categories of stuff they need to, to talk about and how they talk about it, you know, including the language specific for that organization. Uh, and uh, what else? What did I say? Uh, 
And uh, oh, and also <clears throat> any type of internal knowledge base they have. And you know, by knowledge base, I mean you know whatever the FAQ, whatever FAQ pages they have, uh, both for the the external, you know, for the their own clients and for the uh, their employees, like the contacts of their agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, the go-to for when they, you know, the how do you complain? Oh, where's the FAQ page for that? Oh, you uh, send an email here and then whatever. If that doesn't work, call that number or whatever. So yeah. this type of data. So both uh, data on uh, the processes, I guess, that mm-hmm. they use, the processes in place, and any um, uh, on the users, on the company, and any language data they, they have. If I'm lucky, they may already have a uh, system in place, even a uh, shitty IVR. If they have a really bad IVR, uh-huh. I can still use that because I, if I can listen to recordings from that and see what the system said, what the user replied, and perhaps what they said to the mate sitting next to them about the system or about the company or whatever, yeah, I, can, yeah. I can use all of that yeah. um, uh, for the design. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so if you were able to obtain this data like what what would be your process to pick through it what would you be looking for how what would you choose to look at first okay uh, usually uh, the job is kind of not as hard because usually the company will say you know they will not say replace everything with whatever you're going to design yeah this almost never happens they already have something in place that they need to automate. Mm-hmm. So they may say, you know, I don't want to automate, I don't know, the, the whole, I don't want to automate any of the complaint, complaints line. I don't want to automate uh, the browsing because they can do that on the phone, on a website. You know, what's the point of voice browsing for thousands of products? You know, it's too complicated. It's not worth it. But I do want to automate the the returns and the orders. Mm-hmm. So then we look at that specifically. You know uh, how they, what the business process is, um, uh, who who is involved, uh, the different steps, the timing, the language, um, and uh, again any language data that they may have. You know how they they talk about it on the phone. You know humans between them. <laughs> human-to-human communication, even yeah. better if it's a human-to-IVR or human-to, I don't know, old, old voice bot that is not very good, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and then you decide how to model that rather than the whole world of that organization. Yeah, sure. And so... Or to start with that because there may be a follow-on, follow-on project that is going to try and automate other aspects too. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that doesn't get you out of the big problem of, uh, you know, most speech IVRs nowadays, and I guess voice bots should also be expected. They When they start with, uh, how can I help you? You may indeed say, and in fact, you should be allowed to say something that is not covered by the voice bot, right? Yes. Because it hasn't been automated. But you still don't get out of the, of the obligation to be able to recognize that so that you say, oh, sorry, I can't do that yet. Uh, I'm going to, you know, send you off to a, to one of my human colleagues or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that that's a big thing because sometimes um, there is this misperception, and I see that all the time, where someone says, oh, I only want to automate 
returns? Why do you need to recognize all the all the other things, you know? Yeah. And it, it if, doesn't work that way. As if every customer who calls knows that they can only speak only about this one yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you obtain this data like you're talking about listening to recordings, it seems to me that uh, listening to recording is like the the best way because there's no loss of data. You wouldn't go and transcribe that call. Or oh, much. right. Uh, in the best thing, the best case scenario, you do have transcribed okay. recordings because in, in big organizations, uh, uh, they have people, slaves, usually, <laughs> who um, do exactly this. They transcribe it and then someone else, perhaps of a higher pay grade, labels them. Mm-hmm. And they they do exactly this type of labeling that uh, uh, you're all familiar with, you know, the labeling intents. Yeah. Um, in uh, in the systems I've worked on, usually you're talking you're talking about thousands of utterances, not just yes. like ten for whatever account balance and ten for complaint. So um, and because people just talk. They're so, <laughs> every utterance, almost every utterance is original. I mean, even in 8,000 utterances, you will see that people will still only use the same phrase twice. Yes. So it's, um, uh, of course, now with, uh, you know, with uh, the latest machine learning uh, algorithms can extrapolate and they don't need to have the exact same uh, utterance um, uh, in the training data. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's still the best way to use uh, real-world data because uh, – and it needs to be real-world, you know, not someone thinking, you know, oh, I would say that or let's be spontaneous. How would I say this? And I record something. Because oftentimes if you don't have any data, you you resor- uh, you take uh, – yeah, you resort to this type of Synthesis. things because you're desperate just to, to yeah. kickstart something. But that's yeah. still not good training data. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, exactly as you say, there can be so many ways that people can ask for something and it needs to be focused on the actual users who are going to use it. You need that data. Yeah. Um, so, do you ever, I know I'm, I'm kind of straying from the questions, but I basically do this every time. <laughs> so I should just warn my interviewees that questions are just there in case. <laughs> Okay. So, um, you know, if if you're so you you try to obtain this data, you want real customer data of calls and so on, their interactions, and you would want transcriptions of this. Are you ever looking at that and thinking this doesn't give me the whole picture? Something there's something I want to know that is isn't represented here. Uh, almost never. I mean, uh, I've only encountered. This case, uh, if there is like a new product or service uh, that we know it's coming out, or the organization knows, you know, it's coming out, or it just come out this week, and perhaps um, the user, the, the clients, the and you know, the end user, the the customers, don't talk about it yet because perhaps they're only just hearing about it. So then I'm saying, oh, how am I going to model this? Nobody talks about it. I need to make up some utterances until we have something. And um, so usually it's that rather than, it's rare to say, you know, it's like, uh, oh, 
I want to cover mortgages and absolutely no one talks about mortgages. It's it's yeah, yeah. rare. I mean, unless you really, if you don't have any conversations and you start from scratch, of course, that's going to be the case for every task you need mm-hmm. to model. But, yeah, I get you. And so within the transcriptions, the detail is enough. Oh, the, oh you mean uh, the detail of the transcription itself? I think you had a question like this. Uh, you sent me a question like that because... Uh, usually, um, and I had another, I think this is one of your, what was it, various transcription systems you asked me about. Yeah, yeah. What I found is the best for conversation designers. Uh, Basically, uh, my official answer was, and I guess it still is, that I haven't used like an official transcription system in 30 years. You know, I only played around with that, um, whatever system, Jefferson system, I didn't even remember it was called that. Anyway, I, 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 had only played, from... I had only played with this time of uh, type of like uh, um, uh, rigorous uh, official uh, transcription system uh, when I was studying linguistics. But for mm-hmm. actually using it when you analyze conversations for a commercial uh, system, you only need some. Um, because the problem is that the more uh, individual. Uh, marks you add, the less likely or the more difficult it is for the machine learning system to extrapolate. So if yeah, you, if so. every single utterance has the same, uh, say if 10 utterances have got the exact same wording, but, uh, you know, three marks there, four marks there, one mark there, then uh, it's going to make it harder for the system to generalize. So you don't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I'm... Um, I know it has been used for the past 15 odd years, uh, is that you always put things like, um, you put stuff in square brackets that is not exactly the the point of the conversation, what you're talking, you know, the topic of the conversation. So you put square brackets and put, I don't know, side speech, and perhaps also putting what the side speech was, if it was relevant, you know, it doesn't understand me or something like that. I would I would use that. Or definitely things like, Coughing, sneezing, uh, dog barking in the background, you know, these type of things. Yeah. Uh, uh, but again, even even those actually, uh, in the end, when you're trying to teach uh, a system, you, you, you try to not include this type of very individual uh, variability. Mm-hmm. So these attributes would, would, for, would come out anyway. So what's the point? Yeah, I get you. I get you. Um, that. You know, this is really what I'm trying to sort of zero in on. Like, how much do we need to know to do our jobs effectively? Because I I think because I edited a lot of voices in the past, I'm very into that. Yeah. And I'm quite excited I by know, it. it must be, but, I know, mean, it, it's amazing. It's so interesting. I absolutely agree. I'm just saying that it doesn't help when you're trying to label in order to teach the system how to recognize humans. Yeah, and that's the most important part, right? For, like, for us right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what, as much as we need, because there's always so much stuff that needs to be done, so why focus too much oh, detail on something? I've got an idea. If you want to uh, be creative there, you can do so in uh, playing with CTS. Because yes. with CTS, you can use a, <clears throat> a lot of marking and say, you know, oh, extra emotion here or anger there or... This type of thing, and that's why I was thinking that in general, I would say that I only uh, record, you know, the actual task, like user intent, whatever, 
not even really sentiment, unless it's like, a, I don't know, perhaps an exclamation mark of the swearing or shouting or whatever. Uh, and, you know, side speech and, and noises uh, that are, you know, obviously very audible. If it's just a train far in the background, I wouldn't put that in. But yeah. uh, for things like, particularly for emotion, I would say that um, because emotion recognition is better if you do it on the actual signal. Sometimes it's not in the words, so it's difficult mm-hmm. to capture that mm-hmm. way. Uh, if you understand it from the, you know, the, the what is it, the pitch or the... Uh, all the words have escaped me now, you know, how loudly, mm-hmm. you know, the loudness of, of the utterance, then then fantastic. But uh, otherwise, I I would say that you could, you could channel all your creativity with, uh, um, uh, you know, this type of uh, detailed uh, transcription mm-hmm. uh, with TTS, you know, trying to uh, polish, I guess, TTS utterances if you're, if you're using them. Yeah. Because no, now so- you also have you have voice recordings. I mean, mainly I work with voice recordings, you know, with professional right. voice talents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess even there, perhaps you could you could still add some kind of marker um, between recording, before recording, or whatever to to try and make it more. I don't know. Or, or because like. Um, I've coached quite a few sessions with voice talents where they record, right. uh, say, the basic prompts for the for a system. And mm-hmm. usually, uh, I mean, it always includes a recording of all the numbers, I don't know, up to 100 or whatever, yeah. uh, and the basic years, you know, from, I don't know, 2000 or whatever, and um, days of the month, uh, sorry, days of the week, uh, all the months, and uh, what was it? The letters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for the numbers... Very often you record uh, three different versions of the probably also for the mainly for the numbers three different um, versions of uh, how you would pronounce yeah of the of each number um, from one to nine I guess or from zero to nine uh, and you would have flat rise uh, rising and falling yeah, so that yeah. for example if it's in the in the middle, and you you have a short pause, then you start. I can't even remember because there. Are, I've defined such rules in the past, and I uh, I can't think of. You know, I don't know if you're reading a six digit, I don't know, six digit uh, account number, then maybe you would say, oh, I'm gonna read it in threes and go one two three, where the one is. What would you say it is one? Three is that falling or rising? I don't know. Uh, three, well, the three is definitely falling. Like yeah. one, two, three. So the two is flat for sure. The middle yeah. one is kind of flat, and then you play with the edges. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. that's uh, the type of things uh, you you could play with to to add extra markings. I would say, yeah. Yeah, totally, and it makes me think as well. With you know, there's text to speech, and then there's speech to speech, where someone literally records their voice and has it has the prosody transplanted onto a different voice. And I think, um, yeah, I'm extremely excited by that because when I play with text-to-speech, and of course we have to use it, but I'm often extremely frustrated that, you know, because like we, when we talk, the melody is sort of fluid. The text-to-speech is like, this block is this pitch and this block. So it sounds really like the more you add, the less natural it sounds. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But... That's a whole other thing. 
Um, well, I'm interested, uh, you know, we're speaking mostly about voice um, <coughs> with, you know, because you were saying like traditionally conversation analysis was focused on talk, but in our work, there can be chatbots and all sorts of other yeah. modalities. Um, is do, do you see conversation analysis being used differently in these different modalities? Um I mean, uh, with regards to task completion and task modeling and the ontologies I was talking about uh, at the beginning, it's the same because you, you know, in order to to capture the possible or the the expected structure of the conversation, you need to know the task and you need to know that you know most people are gonna do this first and then that then uh, after or perhaps. Um, offer those options next because you know that that's most likely what they're going to do next. Mm -hmm. So the ontology and the task modeling and structure is, is the same. Uh, you have the definitely the huge advantage that uh, what you see is what you get. So there is no guessing, you know, did they just say, you know, the I don't know if you know the famous example of uh, um, when they teach what is it, speech recognition and, uh, you know, with my accent, I can never do it justice, but I'll try. They say that speech recognition is hard because uh, uh, you could say how to recognize speech or how to wreck a nice beach. Yes. And they kind of sound the same. Yeah, so there's, totally. this, there's always this ambiguity, right, depending on the context. And that's why, particularly for speech recognition, the context is, is everything. Uh, the amount of, you know, the funny things I see whenever I dictate to my phone, you know, it's like, it's like ah. How do you come up with this? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what with chatbots, it's it's there. There is no ambiguity. Uh, the only problem with chatbots uh, or chatbot uh, text input is that uh, very often people type, you know, use the text or SMS mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. So they drop vowels and they, you know, they shorten all the <laughs> grammaticality goes out of the window anyway. But even the words are not whole. <laughs> so when you try to model that, you need to. Uh, built in, I guess, um, you know, the same word, but with the vowels missing or, uh, you know, apostrophes missing and stuff like that. And and also, um, like, typos, you know, the it's with and without apostrophe, the there, whatever, you know, yeah. the, 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 you know, all the different ones that people uh, get get wrong. And when they type fast and to, to a chatbot, they don't care anyway. It's not their teacher, you know. It's not as if they're going to get a bad mark. But yeah, no, exactly. uh, to work, it's best if we have already modeled it. But yeah, otherwise, I would say that the chatbots are more straightforward and you can do, I guess, more things with them because, uh, first of all, there is no ambiguity, usually. Uh, secondly, you can offer options like visual, these visual cues, for the next option rather than say, what would you like to do now? Would you like to do that, that, or that? You just see them as buttons mm -hmm. and they may just click on it or they may voice something or, sorry, not voice, probably type mm -hmm. um, something else. Uh, and you can use the FAQs uh, for ready-made options at every step. So I guess chatbots are more multimodal because you can also, you know, click on something and, have a uh, web page open and all these things. So there's yeah. less ambiguity and more omni-channel, uh, yeah, multi, multi-model uh, user experience. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Okay. 
you know, I have to focus on something because I, I feel like I, I kind of jumped on an assumption, but I never said it aloud, is that when you were talking about ontologies, in my head, I was thinking that's basically intent. Am I? Yeah, yeah, no, that, um, that is right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and that, that's why that's why I I started the <laughs> lecture on ontologies by saying that every conversation designer is doing ontology yeah. when they uh, you know write five sentences to to teach the speech recognition how to recognize uh, you know slots and intents. And, yeah. No, you are totally. correct. That's what yeah. that's what I'm saying anyway. Yeah. No, sure. I had to check it because exactly, exactly, you said that, and I was like, okay. It's just I was because I feel like you know there's even various softwares will use um, you know that they don't all call entities entities. They oh yeah, no, yeah, everybody calls so, whatever they want. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like it's important to just make sure. Are we saying this? And yeah, yeah. so great, so great. I mean, you can it, use whatever terminology you want. At the end of the day, the goal is to predict what the user wants to do and hopefully how we can address it in as few steps as possible, I guess. That's a summary. (laughs) Because, as I said, trying to model the whole human experience is is, uh, a thankless and impossible task. task No, totally. But there's another layer, like exactly what you're saying, but there's also the discussion amongst people in the industry of what we're talking about. You know, like we're discussing the models and making sure that we're all on the same page of what we're talking about. Because if we misunderstand each other here then that There's just no propagates <laughs> yeah it propagates out no, all the people right. using yeah. this stuff so yeah. yeah fantastic um maria this is totally like fantastic wonderful stuff um i feel like there's there's loads uh in here and i've kept you for a long time now um oh, is there any more fun <laughs> well there's one more question i'm not letting you oh, go okay. just yet <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, where where would you recommend people learn more about conversation analysis? Oh, because God. it matters to us, right? We we need to understand this at, at least conversation analysis for conversation designers. I mean, uh, the, whatever book you can you can get your hand on, you just need to read one to understand the the general concepts, but. Uh, I think if you're a conversational uh, designer um, or you design voice bots, chatbots, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, it's it's important to to study real world data, and that's yeah. that was my answer to your very first question, right? You said what's the most useful thing you use at work, and I said language data, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean language use, you know, language in use, mm-hmm. uh, because that gives you uh, insight on how people talk, how they behave, and therefore how you can design the system so that you can predict, you can fail gracefully, as, yeah, as yeah. I say, you know, how you can predict uh, what they say next and what you can do. You can build in some fail-safe, whatever, for if you don't understand something because you know they're going to talk about X, you don't know exactly how to deal with X, but you can deal with it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You don't know how to deal with that. Sorry, you don't know how to talk about X, but you can deal with it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. I, I, I. But I guess if I need to plug something, 
It's not my book. If, if you want, uh, you don't have to, but if you want to. No, I'm saying that uh, I found that uh, this book, uh, The Element of Voice, first style, and I yeah. don't know. Can you see it, actually? Cause only yeah, that's book. Ahmed and yeah. Uh, Wei. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Yes, Ahmed Bouzid and uh, Wei Ye. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. Wei Ye Ma. Uh, a Practical Guide to Voice User Interface Design. I mean, it's got in the... Uh, I'm pretty sure everything I've talked about is is covered by this book. It's got everything because uh, it comes from people who, like me, have seen the progression of the you know how we've done things manually, optimistically, perhaps at first, and then how you deal with uh, how you fail <laughs> with real world uh, language data and requirements and business requirements and whatever. So. Uh, back to your question, as I said, for the theory, read any any linguistics book. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps uh, a, specifically, a good book would be any book on discourse analysis. That's what it used to be called in my time when I studied at university, discourse analysis. Um, for the theory and, uh, you know, this, I guess, greater philosophical uh, mm-hmm. aspects. And then for the practice... I think this is a, an amazing book because it's 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 so succinct. It's almost like a, a little Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Co- it covers everything just enough. You know, it doesn't like uh, it's not a PhD on every topic. It's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> it also has got this tiny little small format. Anyway, yeah, it's perfect. Uh, it's the yes. ultimate pocket I didn't, book. Write, I didn't write it, so I have I have a right to plug it. I think. <laughs> Yeah, totally, totally. I have that one too. And of um, course, I know I know them both, and I've known them for a long time, and they're amazing people, and they know yeah. what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agreed. So, um, Maria, uh, you're findable on LinkedIn, right? If oh, people yes. want to follow you and see what you're up to, um, is is there anything else that you like? Is there anything of, of your own that you want to plug? <laughs> I guess my LinkedIn. I mean, I I started, I'm very late in the, I used to write a blog on WordPress that looks horrendous because of all the ads. And I only only started publishing on uh, Medium recently, I think maybe the last half a year or something, which is shameful. But I guess, you know, I tried to put blogs there on on whatever. But I guess the most uh, up-to-date stuff I put on LinkedIn, that's my number one. Not yeah. even not even Twitter, and I I, I really like Twitter, but uh, I don't have time to do all the channels, so I usually concentrate on on one, and it's usually LinkedIn. Okay, super. I find that that's pretty and much LinkedIn. Where it all... I mean, it's just uh, whatever user you know the usual LinkedIn URL, and Aretulaki at the end, just my surname, A R E T O U L A K I. Yeah, super. Okay, so thank you very much, Maria. It's fantastic. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for for the insights into conversation analysis. It's been a pleasure. You you made me think about things in a different way. So that's always, uh, yeah, it's always uh, fun. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, thank you.